1: exposed the folly of high fees and highly managed funds. He took a little Carthage College in Wisconsin, and he beat the endowment of the big boys at Harvard. He's on the phone. His name is Bill Apt. He's the senior vice president and chief I.O. at Carthage. But here in the studio, we have Janet Lauren, who's our endowments reporter for Bloomberg News. And Janet, could you make Bill blush? Tell us about his exploits.
0: Well, Bill made an amazing decision 15 years ago, two words, index funds, and his performance over the last 10 years beat Harvard. In fact, it beat 90% of all college endowments, and he did it in a very low-fee way, and uh, thanks for joining us, Bill.
2: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Tell us about your returns for the year that just ended a few days ago.
2: Well, yes. Um For the uh, year just ended, uh, of course, um, most colleges and universities uh, base their fiscal year on a year ending on June 30th, um, our endowment had a uh, one-year return of 11.21%. Our 10-year rolling uh, annualized return for that period was a plus 8.3%, so uh, we're pretty happy with that.
0: And the reason why you're able to figure out the return so quickly is because you're not waiting for your private equity investments because they're all indexed.
2: So- uh, yeah. Uh, as you know, our, uh, we have a, a relatively uh, simple portfolio. It's been that way since 2003. Um, our, our portfolio consists of 10 mutual funds. Um, we're 80, 80% indexed or passive. Um, and it's worked very well for us.
1: Hey, Bill, you've uh, you've you you have to say that the uh, the, uh, the long running bull market's helped. Of course, it's helped everybody equally. But um, would you say that the uh, the passive funds will survive the end of the bull market and still uh, be successful onto maybe when things aren't quite as uh, rosy?
2: Yeah, I think. Um, for, First of all, I think that um, uh, certainly in managing um, an endowment, especially a college endowment, you should take a very, very long time horizon. I mean, colleges and universities um, basically are invested forever. So don't worry so much about the short term. Um, There's no investment strategy that uh, will outperform all the time in the short term but uh if we look at our um strategy which we developed back in 2003 and look at the annualized 10-year rolling averages we have consistently outperformed the average college or university endowment
3: bill apt uh You have a background in the insurance industry as well as helping to boost the endowment for Carthage by over 300% from 2009 to 2015. When you read and hear about the extravagant lengths to which other college endowments go in order to either complicate or increase supposedly the returns what is your reaction well
2: you know um quite honestly i've been asked that question (laughs) i can't tell you how many times in the last couple months um you know my first reaction is maybe our investment strategy is too simple um maybe uh, People are trying to justify their existence or possibly their, um, their high salaries. Um, I actually
3: don't know the answer to that. Um, you just, I think you (laughs) just answered it. it. I think you, I think the fact (laughs) that it isn't so apparent and that you've been doing this and successfully so, uh, offers a little bit of insight into at least what's possible.
0: And you're also winning on fees. Now, uh, Bill has retired from Carthage after all of the 18 years, I believe, uh, on June 30th. So what yeah. what is the um, investment strategy and advice that you left the investment committee with uh, you know, for managing the endowment in the future?
2: Yeah, well, thanks for asking, Janet. Um, I think there are basically uh, four areas that... Um, I, I tried to, um, stress is we've got um, about
0: 30 seconds left
2: as I was retiring. N- number one, um, stay with a, a passive low cost investment strategy. Um, number two, remember no strategy, uh, outperforms all the time in, in the short term. So don't try to time the market. Um, number three, Remember that this strategy that we have has consistently outperformed in the long term, looking at 10-year rolling annualized returns. And never forget that we have the best – college endowments have the best
3: imaginable time horizon. Well done. It's forever. Thank you very much. Bill App, Chief Investment Officer, Carthage College. Our thanks also to Janet Lauren, Bloomberg Endowments reporter. This is the drive to the close. That punk to music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio.
1: We're just a little over 10 minutes to the close on this truncated trading day. To help ease us into the July 4th holiday, on the phone we have Bill Stone. He's the chief investment officer for Stone Investment Partners in one of the many cities that did not get LeBron James, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Bill, how you doing? Thanks for coming on.
4: I'm good. I'm originally from Ohio, so I'm losing all over the
1: place. <laughs> yes, well, well, you'll have to move to LA. That's all there is to it. The um, you, you say that uh, the U.S. economy keeps chugging along, but uh, you know, as we go into this patriotic day, how do you do? You feel how optimistic or a little bit pessimistic? Where where are you at as far as the uh, the U.S. markets?
4: Well, it's interesting. So you're right. So the backdrop is still very good. I mean, I want to say you know we have the opportunity to see a nice spring back up but the problem is exactly what you could lay out for today right is we started the day feeling pretty good because uh the uh, the People think China came out and helped out the yuan and and lifted it a little bit, and we thought, well, maybe we'll have a day without worries about uh, a trade war. And then the Micron news hit, and uh, we're back to uh, to worried about uh, how far this whole uh, you know trade spat goes. Um, but I think. Underneath that, I think you have to stay relatively optimistic because as long as it doesn't get, uh, I know it's hard, completely out of hand, but uh, as long as it doesn't uh, go crazy, the size of a lot of these tariffs is certainly under the moment an issue uh, relative to, say, whether you want to talk about the size of the tax cuts and other things helping to propel the U.S. economy. Uh, it doesn't look like it should derail it, um, but again, obviously the market's nervous because you never know if it gets spirals out of control. And you see some of these days, it certainly looks like it.
1: Well, uh, longtime listeners of Bloomberg Radio know I'm, I'm a pessimist about most things. And so I hate to rain on the July 4th parade <laughs> here. But um, how much do you trust the Chinese not to manipulate your, their currency? That seems to me like uh, that would prolong the trade war and just be uh, detrimental to everybody.
4: Well, I, yeah, I, I think uh, my trust level is uh, extremely low on that. I think their denials that they were allowing it to or maybe causing it to depreciate uh, versus the U.S. dollar are uh, pretty hollow in uh, in my view as well. So uh, I just think that was just a symptom of their way of being part of this, this trade spat. So you're right. Uh, that's why the respite was a little bit today, this morning, when they kind of backed off that. But, you know, again, that didn't last long.
3: Bill, before you founded uh, Stone Investment Partners, you were the Global Chief Investment Strategist for PNC Asset Management, you had a career at First Western Trust, also Solomon Brothers. I wonder if you could offer what have you learned about the client manager relationship that you've taken away from your experience?
4: You know, I think probably one of the the maybe best things is there were maybe one of the most um, valuable things is to you know really spend a lot of time trying to help the client understand, and I think that's why I spend a lot of time you know trying to explain, hopefully in a simple way, what's going on in the financial markets because I think if they can understand it, um, they have a better time, a better chance of being able to say stick with uh, an investment strategy that that know, at any given time might be having a little bit of trouble, um, but long term may have or let's hope intermediate term even uh, might have a better outcome. But I think that's probably, uh, you know, one of the more uh, valuable lessons and and also to, to make things hopefully simple
3: to understand. Okay, so in that context, if you have an investment strategy that you believe might be good for one client and also might be good for another client, if that second client doesn't get it. Does that mean that you move on and you say, "You know what? This is just not going to be a good fit because as you just described, you can't convey the details in a way that you know would make them comfortable."
4: Yeah, you know, I think it, that is a good point. I think the second part is what I think about is is my lack of being able to convey it or, you know, do a good job there going to cause them to say I'll like, bail out of it or sell out of it the exact wrong time because that's that just actually makes it even worse. So you know it's kind of like do no harm, right? I, I prefer not to get have them get involved with a strategy if I thought that that might be the outcome because I think um, that's always the key is you know you don't actually want to make it worse, right? I the the
1: uh, the um, maybe some of your clients are like me. Uh, Bill, where they uh, like to blame the Fed for everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, because they, they can't blame themselves and certainly they're not going to blame you. Um, and we have the uh, FOMC minutes coming out on Thursday. Um, I was I was reading your notes about uh, about the Fed, and uh, I got the impression that maybe you think, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you think that there's a danger of hiking too much?
4: Yeah, I think what I lay out is, you know, it's probably similar. To, you know, I'll say I'm not blaming the Fed, but here's what I see: is you know, obviously we talked about the trade war being, you know, part of what's weighing on the market right now. I think the other place you have to look, and it, I don't think it's necessarily showing up at the moment, um, but. With the yield curve flattening so much, um, some other things that you know give you a little bit of pause to keep an eye out. Does the Fed stick with the game plan of hiking while the market is sending a signal that perhaps things are cooling down? That I don't think yet things are cooling down. By the way, I'm just putting it out there and saying because we've hit our target on inflation for um, the core C, core PCE deflator, et cetera. Um, and you, when you have times like that where the Fed decides to just go forward uh, and the market thinks that's not a good idea and maybe they, that might actually push the economy to, to, uh, to really decelerate, that's when you many times get a significant kind of uh, at least pullback in the market. Um, again, don't think we're necessarily there right now, but that's certainly something that I'm watching.
1: Bill, you've been terrific. We've been talking to Bill Stone. He's the CIO at Stone Investment Partners in Philly. Uh, You can see him on Twitter at EW Stone. New Orleans is my home. That's the reason why I'm gone. Yes, I'm walking to New
2: Orleans.
1: Our next guest walked into our studio from New Orleans. His name is Michael Hecht. He's the president and CEO of Greater New Orleans, a booster group. And he's going to tell us about the rebirth of New Orleans following Katrina, which was uh, 13 years ago. Michael, welcome to Bloomberg Radio. Thank you, Bob. Great to be back here. Tell
5: uh, Tell us about tech in New Orleans. Well, the New Orleans story, what's kind of fascinating about it is that the city hasn't just rebounded from Katrina, but in many ways is doing better than it has in decades. And this is actually being led in large part by uh, the tech sector. We're actually number one in the country for tech sector growth and also uh, top 10 for female participation in technology and for minority participation in technology, which we're very proud of.
1: Well, what, what's what's down there? Tell us some of the companies and what they're doing.
5: Well, the uh, most recent one that we welcomed is DXC Technology, which is probably the largest startup in the world you've never heard of. They were the merger of Hewlett Packard's Enterprise Services and Computer Science Corporation, CSC. They're a $25 billion corporation. Uh, they just announced they're putting 2,000 jobs in downtown New Orleans. It was actually the number two economic development deal uh, in the country last year, second only to a small uh, Foxconn situation up in Wisconsin.
3: Michael, just give people a little bit of your background so that they understand where you're coming from, because you are not a native of New Orleans, and you have experience, though, bringing communities and cities back from disasters.
5: Well, yeah, maybe not a native, maybe more of a, of a, of a prodigal son returned. My mother's from New Orleans, but she married a Yankee, so I grew up here in New York. I uh, actually worked uh, for Mayor Bloomberg Uh, back post 9-11, running his uh, small business recovery program. And then when Katrina hit Louisiana, they came up to see me to learn how we had accessed federal programs. And three months later, I was on the steps of the state capitol in Louisiana, announcing a quarter billion dollar uh, federal program. And now I've been here at Geno Inc. for uh, about 10 years in New Orleans.
3: And just to note, of course, that Michael Bloomberg is majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of uh, Bloomberg Media. Michael, what do you want to accomplish? What are specific goals that you have and what kind of lure or what have you put together in order to attract technology companies to come to New Orleans?
5: Well, the, the, the key thing that we're trying to accomplish here is to diversify the economy. Um, if you look objectively at what New Orleans was, pre-Katrina, it was really a, a two-trick pony. Um, You had uh, pervasive tourism jobs, which was part of our brand, but uh, difficult to really build the middle class off of those jobs. And then you had oil and gas, which created wealth, but of course is very cyclical. So we wanted to add more jobs in different industries. And we targeted tech because we said that we could basically be a low-cost, high-culture alternative for places like New York or San Francisco or even Austin now, where it's beginning to get too expensive to uh, have technology jobs there.
1: You mentioned Foxconn earlier, and of course they're building in uh, Wisconsin uh, with the benefit of massive tax breaks. What kind of part, what kind of advantages does the government give to
5: development in New Orleans? Um, when you look at the DXC announcement, um, you might say it was an eighteen month process to get them to choose us over thirty other cities. But really, it goes back about twelve years when at Greater New Orleans Inc. Before my time, we wrote the digital media incentive which essentially gives you back 25% of your costs if you actually do your coding in Louisiana. So that's been the policy tool that we've used to lure companies there, but fundamentally our advantages are one is that we're low cost, we're one of the lowest cost mid-size markets in the country, but we're high culture and people love New Orleans globally. I think the New York Times named us the number one place to visit in the world this year. And so that combination of low cost high culture is essentially the sell that we're making and then the only question that, you, that that businesses have when they come to New Orleans is, are they going to be able to find the quantity and the quality of talent to be able to scale like they need to? But the good news is that we actually have um, about 15 universities in the New Orleans region, and they're extremely active and entrepreneurial. And that's the reason why companies like DXC or like G Digital end up making the decision to come to um, New Orleans.
3: Are you looking uh, to uh, sort of uh, complement the startup culture by working to get a big company to come to new orleans
5: well what you want is really this portfolio approach where you have some global companies uh DXC is about the 110th biggest company in the world. Of course, GE, uh, one of the top companies in the world. But you also want a robust startup scene, and we are actually one of the leading places in the country for entrepreneurship, and then everything in between. In fact, uh, the concept of creating innovation districts, which is where you have big companies, small companies, where you have cross-disciplinary companies, is really our guiding principle. And so, it's that portfolio approach that we're trying to work. And um, it seems like if you look at the numbers, it's, it's, it's happening. Uh, we're number five in the country for millennials moving in. Our airport is the second fastest growing in the country. We're actually number one for uh, medical and healthcare growth because of billions of investment. Uh, downtown is seeing billions of investment in new hotels and apartments. And so I don't know if we're quite at that tipping point of critical mass, but we're getting very close. And uh, ironically, it goes back to the comeback from Katrina.
1: Well, we do. We only have about a minute left, but you just said it, come, it, it comes from the comeback of Katrina. How did Katrina change the arc of New Orleans history?
5: Um, Katrina uh, fundamentally changed the arc of New Orleans in a couple of ways. Uh, one was uh, psychological it kind of showed everybody that what was happening before was not acceptable. The second is that it brought in um, many, many new individuals and new energy and new ideas, brought people like me back. And then third, we don't talk about it much, but the reality is that it brought tens of billions of dollars and that combination of new attitude, new energy and tens of billions of financing, particularly when the rest of the country was back on its heels because of 2008, uh, that's been the combination.
1: Good stuff. Thanks a lot, Michael Hecht, the president, and chief executive officer of Greater New Orleans Inc. You're on Twitter at mhechtgno.
0: Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast. You could subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to the radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern only on Bloomberg Radio.